throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Things Worth Considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell, and I'm here with my sidekick, or maybe it's the other way around. She's kicking my side. Uh, anyways, it's the incomparable Dr. Jan Hill. Ouch. How are you doing, Jan? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Gord? Good. I love good. the rain. Yeah, it's great for the garden. <laughs> well, it could have been snow. Uh, <laughs> we have a special guest with us here today, is uh, Mr. Andrew Kuhn. And Andrew is a registered psychotherapist and a faculty member here at Transformational Arts College. Um, he's also a trained facilitator in I Rest Yoga Nidra. Um, he's also immersed in studying internal family systems, uh, which is very cutting edge among psychotherapy practitioners and researchers. Andrew, welcome. It's good to be here. Thanks for having Thank me you. on the show. We finally got you on the show. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you are here with us. Uh, so... Tell us about what is what is Iris Yoga Nindra. It's an interesting how you got involved, what's it about, your journey. <laughs> How'd right. you get here? <laughs> Happy to share. Um, I was probably somewhere in the middle of my yoga teacher training when the studio owner, my teacher, the late Esther Myers, a great yoga teacher, invited. She's being connected in the yoga world, the speaker who I hadn't heard of, Richard Miller. And through a weekend workshop, he took us through Yoga Nidra without a lot of theory, but a lot of experience. Okay. And my experience was profound. And I said, wow, this is something. It changed my yoga practice. And I'm shy of using big words, but it probably impacted my life as well or my relationship with the way of living. Right. So a few years passed and I discovered that he's actually – I finished the yoga teacher training and I like to learn all the time so he, he's been running these facilitator training for Iris quite a bit of travel for that but it was well worth it right. so after experiencing level one and level two training um, I had this idea this is it this is what I must be doing because it resonated with me it took me to some levels of depth of consciousness that I hadn't been before and I liked it and I, th mm. I said if I like it maybe other people will too right right people get really scared about that though levels of consciousness what are you talking about <laughs> well at its simplest level awake being awake being asleep as levels of consciousness those are levels levels of consciousness You're daydreaming so yeah absolutely yeah stop paying attention staring off so in that sense, it's just another way of being. It's as natural as sleep or being awake. Um, most people don't think of it that way because it doesn't happen that often. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> being asleep but awake. Right. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of people going through life that way, you realize. <laughs> right. Zombies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that is also the paradox of, of the name, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Yoga Nidra is alternatively translated either as sleeping yogi or the yoga of sleep. Mm. And the paradox it's trying to capture is that while the body appears to be in deep sleep, the mind is sharply awake. 
Wow, yeah. that's cool. Well, that that really ties into so much of the just the whole thing of dualities and yeah. you know the di, you know dialectical uh, behavior therapy is all about this you know light dark wet cold or dry cold hot. So this is the same thing of awake but asleep. Right, and, and finding that balance. Interestingly enough, while the centuries-old tradition says that we are experiencing this, some uh, curious doctors who were exposed to yoga nidra in Denmark, I believe, uh, who also had access to uh, a functional MRI machine, have put some uh, yoga nidra meditators into the machine measuring or taking pictures of what the brain activity looks like before, during, and after yoga nidra meditation. Hmm. And what they found actually supported the traditional view, which is um, before the meditation, the brain patterns look like they look for anyone who is engaged in everyday activities. But during, it it looked partially like asleep and partially while awake. Mm. Wow. So it is indeed that, that combination. Right, so, right. Well, it's interesting with the MRI to be able, they can actually see that now, yeah. as opposed to having to do the the uh, ECTs with the electro scans. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. What I love about it is it really captures the idea that um, in the modern world, right, like we're struggling to fit into this category or this category, but the live reality is actually that we are in the space between all categories because categories are just some construction of the mind, exactly. right? They're construction of the cognition. It's not. It's not uh, the state of beingness. Beingness is always moving in fluidity and being always in the space between. It is. Right. So people people have a lot of difficulty with that, though, because the constructs are so powerful. Sure. That we have. And then to say that, oh, well, that's just an illusion, you know, Jan. Yeah. And they go, what? Well, the constructs (laughs) are the, the map for our identity often, right? Oh, yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of constructs, um... Like many well-worked-out modalities, um, Iris Yoga Nidra is both a model of the mind Mm. and the spiritual practice and the therapeutic practice and a way of life. Mm. So in terms of models of the mind, uh, that is one of the, the things that struck me when I started getting involved in internal family systems, that... In a similar way with Transformational Arts College's Monian model, which has at its core uh, an essence that is peaceful and okay, and it is not conditioned by external events, similar way as Daniel Siegel in in his mind site, he presents there a model of the mind that he calls Wheel of Awareness, which at its hub has this very peaceful, kind, um, calm essence, Hmm. um, the model of the mind of Iris Yoga Nidra is also true self or presence with a capital P or awareness with a capital A Hmm. as the center and um, everything else that we perceive are layers, coverings, veils, in Sanskrit the term kosha, which we identify with. But ultimately, the path of exploration tells us that they are not defining us. Mm. So, mm. so it feels a little yeah. bit like existentialism to me. Well, 
there, yeah. You, you, yeah, you'll see overlaps with a number of uh, views, both of the mind and how we relate to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the closest, in a way, is um, Buddhist meditation, in particular Vipassana, which was transformed into a healing practice mm-hmm. initially by John Kabat-Zinn and then mm-hmm. by uh, a whole slew of other wise people. In a similar way, Richard Miller, who I mentioned, who has a PhD in psychology and has been practicing psychotherapy, is also a yoga scholar who has studied the ancient texts and has taken the traditional yoga nidra um, modality um, meditation form and distilled it into something that the Western mind can digest, can relate to, and is therapeutic. Mm. In particular, the term IRIST, which is short for integrative restoration. Okay. <laughs> it sounds it looks very appley. Yes. <laughs> like well, it's apple written in, 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 with, with a lowercase i, yes. but that's where it originates from. Mm. And the, the term was created in order to appeal to um, U.S. veterans because the first rollout in a therapeutic mm-hmm. uh, environment was with Veterans Administration Hospitals mm. using IRIS with um, veterans from Afghanistan, from even Vietnam, Iraq, uh, and the other hot areas. And they started with veterans who seemed not to respond well either to medication or traditional therapy, and they responded well to using IRIS in addition. So given that the army and yoga may not have Mm -hmm. had a very close relationship traditionally, Mm -hmm. um, the group chose a neutral term, but eventually evolved into using both, both IRIS and Yoga Nidra honoring the tradition. Right, Mm -hmm. right, right. So so PTSD sort of came right to the top of the the heat then, if right. we're dealing with military. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, PTSD is one of the most difficult areas to work with, uh, you know, therapeutically. So it's interesting then, that's where they jumped in at. Um, because what, what about uh, things like, uh, like you know, chronic depression or, uh, ongoing, depre- or ongoing substance abuse? Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, they're all tied it, it, in so often. Even yeah. though it started as a formal process um, with army or uh, veterans, Um, it's been rolled out to homeless people, to regular people, Mm. um, to women's shelters, to everywhere where there's a need, and we know that there's a lot of need out there. Uh, One of the reasons why the the Institute, Integrative Restoration Institute, which governs the rollout and the evolution of Iris Yoga Nidra insists on uh, identifying it as Iris Yoga Nidra because it developed a protocol which was rolled out, which was tested, which was researched, and in order to have a solid evidence base 
they needed a consistent protocol to go forward with. Right. So this protocol involves a few steps, and it's easy to see why it turned out to be therapeutic. Um, and this is where I like to go back to the parallel between internal family systems and Iris Yoga Nidra, because internal family systems developed by uh, Richard, Richard Schwartz mm-hmm. started from just family therapy. Right. And empirically, Richard Schwartz saw that people were describing their internal life as part of me wanted to do this, but part of me was against, uh, against it and so on. And through the process, Richard heard, I should differentiate alcohol, Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, and Richard yeah. Miller, <laughs> Richard. Two Richards. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Dick heard people describe something that didn't seem like a part. Parts evolved as response to circumstances, their behavior. But something was calm, powerful, authentically powerful, uh, kind, compassionate within every person. Mm -hmm. And he, Dick Schwartz, called it self with a capital S. Right. And to me... It's indistinguishable from the true self or presence that is described at the core of um, the koshas of the uh, model of the mind used in Iris Yoga Nidra. So there's an overlap, if I'm understanding correctly, an overlap in the framework in, uh, in, say, in family systems that actually describes the relationship of the self, like the core self, which peaceful and calm yes. um, to the environment around us, which might actually generate behaviors that lead to a certain amount of ambiguity in the social self, right? Where right. people find themselves behaving in ways that don't really correspond with what they, what they would really like to be doing, how they would really like to be doing it. Exactly. Okay. And this also describes the therapeutic path right. or the modality mm-hmm. um, in Irist, it simp- in a simple way involves three phases. One is a phase of awareness, of finding out what these koshas, layers, we- ve- uh, veils, coverings right. are. The other one is a process of disidentification. Right. I'm not this, I'm not that. And the third is a process of integration. Right. Because ultimately that is the step, the most significant step of healing when I see all these parts and what they need and I can integrate them and like an orchestra rather than uh, sounding disharmonious, it is playing in harmony. Right. So when I hear that, it makes me think it's the process of, like the therapeutic process of determining what is me and what is not me in a way. And then deciding of the me part and the not me part, how it is you're going to bring those together or cast them aside, right? Especially right. with the, the side that you don't, that's not you, the not exactly. you part, right? Identifying what each part needs to heal, to integrate, yeah. to join the orchestra. That's beautiful. 
So. I, I, think, I find it quite fascinating, actually, the whole IFS. But the integration part anywhere in any form of therapy mm-hmm. is the part where almost everyone quits. <laughs> it's like they yeah. sort of get the awareness, and it's kind of like, okay, that could be me. And then it's like, uh, oh, look, what time it is? I have to leave. And they're gone. Uh, and, and often don't come back. Or, or years later, they'll come back and, and pick up where they left off. I mean, I know there's a point of readiness, but mm-hmm. that integration phase, that action phase... But I think that's because a lot of times when people come to therapy, they come like they see it as sort of a problem solving mechanism, right? Rather than sort of a really life changing beingness uh, swap out or switch up or however you want to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like I'm this and now I have to suddenly become this again. It's another whole construct that's sitting out there, right? Yeah. It's like change isn't sort of sort of an integrated process. It's an either or. Mm-hmm. I either I either am this or I'm that. So, and I either have to take a break or I probably will get in trouble. <laughs> On that note, we're going to uh, cut out here for a couple of minutes and we will be right back with Things Worth Considering with Mr. Andrew Kun. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental dynamic educational environment we believe learning is much more than just theories it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. 
Hi, welcome back to uh, Things Worth Considering. Uh, I'm uh, Gord, I'm here with Jan, and uh, we're also here with uh, Andrew Kun, and we're talking about uh, I Rest Yoga Nindra, and uh, also internal family systems. We're talking about all kinds of stuff. So, Andrew, so we talked about the theory. How do, what do I do with this on a daily basis? How, does this, how, do, how can I work with this? How can I apply it? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the, the everyday or the practice can take several forms. One is a group practice, like a group meditation, where people are taking some comfortable posture. The traditional one is lying down with a pillow under the head with a blanket and so on and so forth. I'm hearing nap time. But if you think of the uh, broad range of people who have experienced this, not all of them can lie down. Not all of them have the patience to be still. So it can be done standing. It can be done walking mm. or moving or sitting okay. because the only requirement is so that body relaxes to some degree, to the degree that it can, and it doesn't become a distraction. Right. So right. other than that, there are no um, rules as to how to practice that. So that would be a group setting. There's a dyadic setting, which would be like uh, a therapist and the person need, needing it. And there it can be a personal practice where either you're listening to a guidance or just work through it when you have enough familiarity with the, the um, protocol. Right. So the protocol is aimed towards groups and then it has a sequence. It brings the body to stillness because that helps uh, the, the awareness to tune inwards because this whole practice is an inner exploration mm. of experiences. It is tuned to senses, and it walks through. That's why I talked about the model of the mind, the layers, right? right? Physical layers, and <clears throat> breath layer, and emotional and thought layer, and joy or bliss layer. And finally, this is an addition that Iris brought to the traditional Yoga Nidra view, which is an ego or I awareness mm. layer. So, through guidance it's an exploration of what is present there at the moment uh, and accepting it welcoming it mm. so it is a way to face the reality that is already present within the body and mind mm -hmm. and if you think of it in therapeutic terms it is one of the things that is challenging for a lot of people because if there's physical discomfort or emotional turmoil or mental turmoil, then the natural tendency is to numb or to run away from that. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's what I'm thinking is the number of people that have said, you know, forget this mindfulness stuff. I'm already so mindful of everything that's going on inside me. I want to, like, blank out. Right. I want that kind of a meditation. Or that's just, what I'm thinking about yeah. the PTSD people who, yeah. as soon as something goes quiet in the external world, right, it's like, which they long for the quiet often, but as soon as it goes quiet, that what comes up is really, really yeah. challenging for people to deal with, right? So, exactly. So are and there, there protocols for and, that? And therein for that? lies the power of the practice. Right. Because the quiet room, 
the comfortable position, the hopefully soothing voice mm -hmm. of the uh, person guiding uh, the instructor or the therapist helps the client, the participant, tolerate whatever ha happens within to a much higher degree. I see. The other element is one of changing relationship with what's happening within, right? Rather mm -hmm. than trying to fight it, to push it back, to numb it, turning towards it, welcoming it, assuming that there's a legitimate reason within its context for that discomfort to be there allows people to change their relationship mm -hmm. with their pain, with their hurt, mm -hmm. and listen to what's underneath that that legitimate context and in a compassionate way, something that most people more easily do with others, show compassion, and often it's a lot harder to do it with themselves, <laughs> this practice encourages that kind of attitude. Mm. It may not happen in the first 10 minutes, but the practice repeated over a period of time helps both shift the attitude sufficiently to be healing to oneself and over time brings up enough of the discomfort to be able to resolve it mm. in the way the discomfort needs it right. to be resolved and then transcend it. And this is what I said a little earlier, awareness first, disidentification, this hurt, this pain is present but doesn't define me. And then what does this need? Mm -hmm. Going with that, and that helps resolution, closure, healing, and the ability to turn a painful past memory that was frozen in time into just a biographic element. Yes, this mm -hmm. happened to me, but it no longer has power over me because it doesn't define me. It's not me. I am a lot more than that. I am this true self, this essence, this presence which is much wider and can carry or hold all these elements, these parts, these koshas, or SIFS will call them these mm. parts. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I try and teach is that probably the most painful place to ever be is actually in resistance. You know, I mean, that's that's from a personal place too. I was like, you know, avoiding things for God knows how long I avoided, you know, looking at certain things from early, uh, early in my life. And uh, then all of a sudden it just kind of pops out. And it's like, that's it? That's it? You know? But the, the, the buildup in our brain is, like, you know, this thing comes out, it's just going to be like so huge. I'm going to have to kill everybody. And yeah. it's just so not true. The resistance is where the power, where the, the, it's very powerful, the resistance. But it's also the most painful place to be. Right. The things that we're trying to avoid is the most painful. Right. I'm hearing some similarities, I think, with a few other things like mm -hmm. havening, Ron Young's mm -hmm. havening, with this yeah. idea yeah. that where there's trauma and physical, where there's actual emotional pain, right? But if you can, if you can notice, observe, uh, sit with that emotional pain at the same time as the parasympathetic nervous system is uh, is in arousal, um, is aware, is there, is turned on, then there's actually something that happens physiologically to the neurology of the brain, right? That allows us to release that trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is 
essentially uh, using the way our memory works. That unlike computers which can retrieve images, files identically, human brains are every time rebuilding memory from the elements right. that consist the, the, the stored experience. Hmm. And in that the process of rebuilding, there's always an addition of what's happening in the present. So if you can reconstruct that memory differently than usual, because usually it's causing anxiety, it's causing anger, it's causing a lot of things, and this process of retrieval just strengthens those elements, in these contemplative meditative practices, the retrieval is done in a soothing, supportive, calm, grounded mm. environment. And then the added element is that of groundedness. I have the power to deal with it. And all of a sudden, the mix of what is stored there shifts towards a more manageable, more positive experience. That's great. So it's like revisionist history. Exactly. That happens like in the narrative right. piece, right? So, but it, uh, it has the neurological component. So it's George Orwell. Yeah. There we go, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, I love that. Uh, Creative rewriting yeah. history. But so cool. For a much uh, better purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah, yeah. that. I mean, so much of what's building up inside of us is like, I, I like what you just said is that, uh, that, you know, the past connects right into now. It has to because, um, you know, a lot of therapy is moving away from doing past stuff. Unless it's very, very relevant. Trauma is understood much better in terms of, I think, the direction the psychotherapy is going. Uh, but if we, don't, if we don't bring it into the now, because that's where all that angst, when I talk about, you know, the, the um the whole thing with with uh, resistance and so on. Those are the feelings that this is breaking through. I'm angry about what I'm not able to do now. I'm not angry at where I was. I'm not angry at the resistance. I'm angry at the fact that those defenses are breaking down. It's kind of like bleeding through a little bit. So those feelings are existing today, right now, uh, about my ability to withhold looking at this thing. You know, at least that's my my interpretation of it. Yeah. You know, so when when we talk about that, then we're really working just in what is that like to lose that control of all that, you know, all all that powerful work you've done just to hold this thing in place. And now it's sort of moving. It's kind of, you know, surfacing or bubbling or whatever. And what's it like to lose that control? And that brings you bang right into the now of of the feelings because you can't have feelings in the past. Because we're not there. It frees up a lot of energy that mm. was invested in keeping the lid on the pressure cooker. Yes, mm. yes. So, so far, the the mm. practice I des- as I described it, it's hardly distinguishable from mindfulness practices. So, right. let me highlight a few elements which are specific and different in Iris Yoga Nidra. Right. One of them is an expli- explicit step in the protocol of connecting to what's called an inner resource, which I also like to call an inner sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So a phase of this guided meditation uh, helps the person, the practitioner, build an inner image, image with full sensory, so not only visual, mm-hmm. but kinesthetic and all the other senses, 
that feels safe. And that does a few things. One, it primes the parasympathetic nervous system or the rest, restore, and recover part of the ner- nervous system to come online to do the things that it naturally knows how to do. The other one, it allows the exploration of the emotions, the thoughts, the beliefs from a place of strength and knowledge that if things get too intense, there's always a place to come back to recover. Right. So this sense of safety, which is not coming from the instructor or the therapist, it's coming from within the person doing the exploration is extremely powerful, gives them a lot more confidence in exploring deeper. Hmm. Another thing that is specific to, to, to this is working with opposites. Mm. So mm. Uh, both physically, right, to contrast sensations in the left hand with sensations with the right hand, but also uh, exploring an emotion and then exploring its opposite, right? For different people, the opposite of fear may be calm or maybe confidence. It doesn't matter. The person chooses their own opposite or if they're aware of a belief that they're holding, they're invited to explore the opposite of that belief and then to hold both Hmm. the belief and its opposite simultaneously with an awareness. Interesting. So on one hand, this uh, helps collaboration between the two brain hemispheres, but it also helps this identification. Right. If I can contemplate the opposite of a belief or the opposite of an emotion, then it's harder to confuse my identity that I'm just that emotion, I'm just anger. Mm-hmm. Well, can I also be calm at the mm-hmm. same time? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this I found quite powerful in this practice in helping. Again, I'm going to go back to what I keep finding is that mm-hmm. the correlation to dialectical uh, behavior therapy now, one of the cornerstones, and it's the only it's the only modality in the world that we're aware of at this point, uh, that's based on a, a major world religion, and that's Zen Buddhism. So, uh, uh, this founder here, there's a he he was involved also with Buddhism. Yes. Yeah. He, okay. He so Buddhism somewhere we've got this yoga. this yeah. man Richard, and we have this woman Marsha Linehan, uh, both pulling this piece out as to the importance of these opposing forces in us because that's exactly what it is i'm all anger or i'm all happiness i'm all you know joy or i'm all you know whatever uh yeah it's that dialectical thing that's what's really interesting well and i like the idea that you can have multiple emotions stored in your bodies in different places right that your the left side of your shoulder can feel angry in a way that your right side of your shoulder might not right Right. and that's an amazing awareness it is yeah it is when they do that body mapping as to what's yeah. there and what's here, and, you know, I, I was doing my shoulders, by the way, when I said here and here, uh, you know, or your knees or, you know, whatever. I always have found body mapping fascinating, you know, and you can actually, and actually work from that map. So guess what? It's that time we have to take another break and we'll be right back with things worth considering.
Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back to Things Worth Considering. I'm uh, Gord Riddell. I'm here with Dr. Jan Hill and with Mr. Andrew Kun. And we are talking about I Rest Yoga Nindra. Um, so, Andrew, we were talking about sort of a, as a personal practice. Uh, where did we not pick up from? <laughs> so, I remember a, a, a couple more things that distinguish the IRS yoga practice from many of the um, mindfulness practices, which, by the way, are fantastic, and I'm a great user, not only admirer, of <laughs> mindfulness in general. Right. So, this protocol also has a steps, uh, uh, the steps of, we'll call it affirmations because um, that's what they're, that, that they're called in a number of other traditions. Uh, Iris Yoga Nidra calls them an intent for the practice and a heartfelt desire for a direction that you want to move your life into. Mm. But it dedicates a section of the guided meditation to give the practitioner an opportunity to connect to an intent of their own choosing and of their heart, heartfelt desire. And given that these 
deeply meditative states lower tend to lower our intellectual defenses we tend to be a lot more receptive to affirmations to statements Mm -hmm. but rather than in hypnosis where we would be receptive to the hypnotherapist's suggestions here we do if you want self-hypnosis but really it's just making the affirmations in a deeper level of consciousness and therefore increasing their potential to change our beliefs, our relationship with, with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So this set of steps in the protocol work well in a group. Um, but still in a group, the instructor would choose a certain pace and a certain sequence Uh, which works better for some and for others. Working one-on-one has two major advantages. One is that the pace can be tailored to the needs of the individual. And the other one is that the whole process is not linear because our minds don't work (laughs) Yeah. So sequentially, yeah. they jump from one to the other. They make associations. They and the associations tend to lead to what is more important, most important for healing. So, in an interactive uh, huh. mode of using this, the instructor, the therapist, can dialogue with the individual going through the healing journey and guide them with very open questions, enabling the person to follow the um, breadcrumbs that lead to what is important to heal, what needs to be heard, what needs to voice, what needs the, the, the compassionate attention and holding space for. So that is something. And then um, the individual practice will be again, tailored by the individual once the person has um, a bit of experience with the practice. Right. Um, having done a bit of all three, or yeah. quite a bit of, of yeah. all three, uh, I like the personal practice, and that is most accessible. But the guided practice is more relaxing because I don't have to, to think what's next. I don't have to watch my own mind. Do you have to lie down a lot? Do you like walk around and then you have to lie down? Um, no, I'm but it's just kind of like, you know, I, I just want to be mindful right now. Oh, I have to lie down here. <laughs> Maybe you intended that as a joke, but yeah. actually there's a, a, a serious answer to, the, to it. Okay. Which is at the beginning, I said that it is a model of the mind, it is a yeah. modality. Uh, and the spiritual practice, but it is also a way of life. And coming back to something else that you said, you, you highlighted the dualism in something that I, I was uh, describing, and this may be a good opportunity to clarify that the roots of Yoga Nidra lie actually in non-dualistic spirituality. Yeah. Okay. So just... Uh, just saying, dude. Just saying. Just There's saying. a lot of duality going just, on here. Just to clarify, the second story what's now. hiding <laughs> behind the terms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dualistic spiritual spiritual traditions mm-hmm. say that we're here on this earth, and if we do the right things, then we get to a higher plane. Some traditions call it heaven. Some yep. call it uh, union with the deity right. or with the divine. 
And then the non-dualistic traditions said, um, wait a minute, if this divine transcendent realm is everywhere, then it's within you and I. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go anywhere. You are it and you've always been it. And the only thing that's required is to acknowledge it, to accept it. So Mm -hmm. the spiritual side of, of the spiritual roots of Iris Yoganidra are in non-dualistic tradition. And that is where the idea of this powerful (coughs) self is. It doesn't have to be called divine. It's just something that IFS, for example, characterizes through the eight C words, right? Calm, compassion, curiosity, and so on. Which says that this (coughs) exists within each of us. And it comes out whenever it is allowed to come out. And if you're more aware that that is you, then it's easier for you, for all of us, to express it. So this connects to internal family systems, which created an organization, again, governing the uh, modality and its evolution of internal family systems. And it's called self-leadership okay okay from the idea of this self which is grounded balanced and okay Mm -hmm. and if you think of it in a small scale this is closing the circle for how dick schwartz came up with internal family systems looking at family therapy where once you understand the dynamics what each family member needs you can create a harmonious environment where people get along. Right, well, right. Ideally. So, well, assuming that the yeah. family therapy achieved its, its purpose. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, he has a, a, an initiative or the organization, uh, Dick Schwartz's organization mm-hmm. uh, of self-leadership has a number of initiatives to bring this out into the corporate world into society, into communities, where the same thing, if the leader exhibits the characteristics of compassion, calm, curiosity, understanding, kindness, and get it that these are not C, we're starting with other C, but they're still in the same family, yeah, yeah. then they would have the ability to pull together the self of each individual mm-hmm. in communities would work a lot sm- more smoothly together and we would spend a lot of e- energy fighting each other and probably resolving a number of the problems that we are facing in a much smoother way. It's staggering how much energy is spent opposing people than working with people. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, uh, from our, our, it seems our political system through our, our uh, uh, judicial systems, everything is based upon that antagonistic, you know, is that you have a problem with me. We're not going to get someone and work it out. I'm going to take you to court and we're going to be antagonistically at odds with one another until you pay me enough money, <laughs> basically. You know, but it's, it is, it's all about power. And it's because, I think, because we are not taught to own our own power in any way, shape, or form. We're... Yeah. We're shamed into being powerless, and when we do try to 
exert any part of this internal family that has some sort of power, we're just shamed. And it's just that scurrying off uh, by all the other ones that are like, ah, you know, she yelled at me. Uh, it's, it, that's just my take on it, very simplistic. But I think that that's what's going on here, right. you know, is our loss of power. Which gives us an opportunity. I mean, there's Darwinism got us where we are. Right. But on one, can, one, <laughs> one can argue that we are exercising a lot more choice than other uh, No, We other have the animals. opportunity to exercise much more choice because most you. people are, what do you think I should do? They're not making the choice. We have the option to exercise a lot more <laughs> yes, conscious choice. We do. And <clears throat> a system like this, which emphasizes that at a core, we are already okay, brings a different perspective of how, on how we exercise choice. We can exercise choice for the common good that also benefits each member of the group. Exactly, exactly. But there's so much, you know, we say group, but there's so much individual, you know, in the, in the middle of that group, you know. It's like people who join boards of directors for political, for diseases, the churches, the synagogues, whatever. And people go in because they really believe in what it's about and end up going to a place of power. You know, nobody else knows what's going on here. And, of course, the closer you get to your own environment, you know, I'm thinking politically, sitting on a condo board versus going, you know, running for parliament is a very different thing. And it's much nastier in that condo building, you know, uh, because it's just closer to home. So turning into the language of IFS, it's important to recognize that what we see as bad in people are just parts Parts acting out their pain, their needs, in ways that may be not very skillful. So one of the great opportunities for us as healers, as therapists, is to help as many people as we can heal their pain, to allow their parts to work harmoniously with them, and then the individual can work a lot more harmoniously in the community, in their families. So... Um, this is, yeah, yeah. It, well, it, also, hope, it keeps uh, my, coming back to it. All starts with ourself, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, we're all looking out there, but it, it's really it's from in here. Um, just, I just wanted to jump in on this study. You know, the National Institutes of Health sponsored with the Saybrook Institute in San Francisco, um, and they just did this meta analysis of all of this meditation as it applies uh, therapeutically. And you know, basically, really, what they they didn't want to say yes, it does. No, it doesn't. What they did say is it depends what the intent is. You know, as to to what the outcome is going to be. It was, I mean, it's very definitively in favor of if it's not if it's not incompatible. Is really what it boils down to, you know. But uh, you know, I really like it. Can be you know of huge value uh, to have a, a, the capacity to awaken altered states of consciousness uh, that may profoundly reorient an individual's identity, attitude, and sense of well-being, including their purpose. Right. Thank you. And speaking of, of research, um, Iris Yoga Nidra is an evidence-based practice, and you're going and to come and teach us that. Yes. Uh, uh, we are. We're going to jump to that because 
we're running out of time here, and I want to just let people know that Andrew is teaching at uh, Transformational Arts College, the IRS Yoga Nidra program, starting on Thursday, October 24th. Uh, uh, Andrew, as you can hear, is very uh, compassionate. He's also very knowledgeable in this area, and uh, I think it's a really cool area, actually. Um, is uh, you can call, uh, you can get in touch with us at uh, tac at transformationalarts.com or at four one six. 4840454 to register. And don't forget, you can get in touch with Jan and I through info at spiritgrows.ca. And we will pass any messages like that along that you would like to come and take uh, Andrew's uh, program in I Rest Yoga Nindra. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank that you. That was fantastic. Uh, I just want to remind people that uh, uh, tomorrow on uh, October the 18th, uh, Friday, is our Compassion Circle here at Transmissional Arts. It's open to everybody. It is free. If you like meditation, if you like really cool spiritual energy work being done, it's all happening right here, 7 o'clock at 3300 Young Street, uh, just north of Lawrence Avenue, Transformational Arts College. All right, so we have two good things. We have the Compassion Circle, followed by the next week, I Rest Yoga Nindra. So, Andrew, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Jan, thanks for being another great co-host. You're, You're the best. You're welcome. Yeah. Sidekick man. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we invite you to join us next week, and, uh, yeah, we'll probably have some good things then, too. All right. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.